0: are you that weirdo that locked eyes across the college English class with another weirdo, and then you became best friends? Well, this is a podcast for you. Welcome to Happy Hour Gets Weird. I just found out some very interesting information. I wanted to share with you just really quick. Okay. Okay. What? So, did you know that? Well, <laughs> I'm uh, so scared. No, it, it's kind of cool. It's cool. Okay. Um. So I, it's like the season of cozy sweaters, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm wearing a cozy sweater today and I tucked it in because I'm a short person. So like, I feel like tucking things in kind of like elongates my legs, Mm -hmm. but it also highlights my fighting pooch. Okay. So the other night, my husband and I were out and we had a big dinner and he was like, I've added to my fighting pooch.
1: Okay. I was like, what
0: in the actual fuck is a fighting pooch? Yeah, I've never heard that before. Well, he heard on good authority that mountain lions during mating season grow a fighting pooch in front of their internal organs because when they fight, that fighting pooch, hence the name fighting pooch, protects their internal organs.
1: I thought you were going to say in front of their dick so that other mountain lions can't kick him in the dick. (laughs) I... (laughs) Where is the mountain lion's dick, actually? I I don't know. We're going
0: to have to Google that part. (laughs) Anyways, so I didn't know it, but this whole time I have grown myself a fighting pooch.
1: (laughs) Me too. It's self-preservation. So any of
0: you out there (laughs) that do not have a fighting pooch, kiss your internal organs goodbye.
1: You need to fucking work on
0: that. (laughs) But anyways, I just thought that was kind of a funny little fact about mountain lions and pooches. And I...
1: That is really I
0: love both of those things.
1: (laughs) hi everybody and hello fighting food <laughs> hello hello welcome the, to, hello to happy hour gets coaches. weird <laughs> welcome to our podcast where we talk about weird stuff and have cocktails yeah whoop whoop and this week we're doing something
0: a little bit different but both i mean different from what we've done so far but um near and dear to both of our hearts i well We shall see by the end of this episode. (laughs) Um, Tiffany and I, just to take a little moment. Usually, we're kind of like what talking heads on this podcast. We don't really do you hear my (laughs) ice. Oh, let's go to the. Anyways, okay, I'm and I digress. So Tiffany and I met. What would you say? Ten years ago. No more than that. Like twelve. We were in this English class and I was mediocre at best. I was just faking it till I made it, really. And we met in this class and we instantly kind of bonded over the cast of characters in the (laughs) class with us. This um, one group project classmate we had, he talked in such a low voice by the end of his speech or whatever we were practically in his lap we, we were practically, practically sitting in his making <laughs> out with his face like we could not hear he was
1: the quietest obviously oh I goodness. don't have that problem he was the most quiet person
0: oh my what is that Meeps on the muppets or whatever his <laughs> yeah. name is freaking Meeps or meep meeps or whatever meeps was awful and then we I had guess. another classmate who had I don't know ingrown
1: toenail issues I don't know but she had like an entire body size bandage wrapped around just her big toe but then chose to wear open-toed shoes that day like every day for like a week maybe with this had huge to or something. bandage oh. <laughs> you're just like what are you doing
0: anyways so we just bonded over that and I remember the first time um Tiffany said something to me I was wearing one of those like salty knitted beanie hats and me being like antisocial butthole that I am you were like oh my god I really like your hair. And I was like you can see it under my hat <laughs> And she probably thought, like, oh, what a bit. I thought
1: that you remember. I thought the first time we talked was when I asked for gum when I was really hungover. And then another time that, gave you back, like, a crumpled pack of gum because yeah. I was so hungover, I couldn't pull a piece it out. It was
0: like <laughs> one of the gums that were stuck in the side. And you, like, tried to pull it out and ended up, like, just mangling the whole thing. And then handed this gum back. It looked like a freaking grizzly bear opened it. And I was like, okay, I nice too cool. Um. So we, um, Kind of bonded over that class, and we've been friends ever since.
1: So this week, anyways, in the in that
0: story, longer story, longer. Let me take the longest way to get to the short point that I need to make. We chose our two. Would you say favorite authors?
1: Yes, two of our favorites. And
0: we're gonna do the life and times of each of our favorite authors.
1: Who did you choose? I chose Ernest Hemingway,
0: and I chose
1: Edgar Allan Poe. I will say Hemingway's probably, I don't know if he's my favorite, but he's like top 10.
0: Okay. Poe, I think, would have to be probably my top five.
1: But you you know like how they say, don't uh, meet your heroes?
0: Yeah. (laughs) You definitely (laughs) would want to meet Poe. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's a you know you learn about the real people that they actually were, which is yeah, and then it never comes, quite as cool as you think it's that not, it's going to
0: be. But then it also comes to like separate the artist from the art. Yes, you know what I mean. Like, yeah. is should we be doing that or should yeah. we be not doing that? I don't know. That's yeah. like a whole other episode. But anyways, we today Poe and Hemingway were both raging alcoholics, <laughs> so like the drinks were kind of open. Yeah. But um, I had read that Poe liked to enjoy a festive cocktail, and it just happens to be the festive time of year, so we thought we would make eggnog mudslides.
1: Yep. And actually, I'm not the biggest eggnog fan, but it's pretty good. I like it a lot with the Kahlua.
0: Oh, I'm working on my second.
1: It's it's delicious.
0: It is quite delicious, and it's dude-esque. Also, we're back after taking a week off, and we're both a year older. Oh, Yeah. Do you feel older?
1: I do. I feel old in my bones. I,
0: I do. I feel it deep in my soul. I'm It's 33 going on 74.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right, should we get into it? Yeah,
0: let's get straight away into it. I'll stop the bullshit, and you can just get into
1: it. I'm going to go first? Yes, you go first.
0: Um, okay, so we're going to get into this mysterious creature, Edgar Allan Poe. Edgar Allan Poe was born January 19th, 1809. He's old-timey. Um, he was born on the cusp of Capricorn and Aquarius. So, um, someone born on the cusp of two signs has, uh, both qu- qu- traits.
1: Oh, like me, I'm the first day of Sagittarius. So that is that the cusp?
0: Yeah. You have Scorpio traits mm-hmm. and Sagittarius traits, God. which. What a handful. I do feel like you're more <laughs> Scorpio than Sagittarius because I'm also Sagittarius and I am definitely 100% full on non-committal Sagittarian. Um, anyway, so he was driven and moody like a Capricorn and unique and rebellious like an Aquarius. Born to a great and well-known actress, Eliza Poe. She was beautiful. She was a great singer. She was a great actress and she was well-loved by her audiences and she traveled. She came from England. Um, her parents died on the boat on the way over and she was taken in by a jazz musician group and grew up. As an actress on the road, traveling the United States. That's a cool life. Yeah, it was pretty cool. She was adored, and she was also very tiny. Interestingly enough, she met David Poe in the same acting company, and he was a shit actor. <laughs> um, and they had three children together. Edgar was the middle of three children. He had an older brother named Howard, and when David was two, or when Edgar was two. David abandoned his family, his two sons, and his pregnant wife. What a shit. Yeah, he shit was. Shit actor,
1: shit dad, pretty shit much, husband.
0: Pretty much. And at this time, they were traveling. Their acting company was in Richmond, Virginia, and they were putting on shows. Eliza gave birth to Edgar's little sister, Rosalie. And um, a year later, she became ill and died of consumption which is old-timey speak for tuberculosis. And, spoiler alert, every fucking buddy had tuberculosis in this story. So, in Richmond, a group of wealthy women took Eliza in as a charitable case before she died and nursed her on her deathbed. And then when she died, two of those women took in two of the children.
1: Oh, that's sweet.
0: Yeah, one being Edgar, who was three at the time. He was taken in by John and Fanny Allen, in, who lived in Richmond, Virginia, and Rosalie, who was one, was taken in by a family called Mackenzie, who was also in Richmond. So um, Edgar was very lucky to grow up kind of in the same neighborhood as his sister Rosalie. Howard, the older brother, was sent back to live with his parents, his father's parents, in I want to say Boston or Baltimore. Um, anyways, but it's not about Howard, so it doesn't really matter where he lived. Poe grew up in a wealthy family. John was a successful tobacco uh, merchant. He was, nas- he was national and internationally selling. Although somewhat spoiled, Poe was mostly treated as a ward of John, like a business ward rather than a son. He was actually never formally adopted. He was always just a foster son. Um, at one point, he did call John Allen father and he called Fanny Ma. But they never formally adopted him. And I think that was always, um, Poe had a chip on his shoulder from that. Yeah. In my opinion. I can see that. So Fanny loved him dearly. Loved him like a son. But she was very sickly and most of the time was too sick and preoccupied with her own health issues to like properly care for Edgar and give him attention that he desperately wanted from a mother figure. When he was six, um, John Allen moved the entire family to England for five years. As a matter of fact, Edgar Allen Poe is, um, Poe is the name of his father and Allen, he took on the name of the couple who brought him in. Oh. So that's where Allen comes from. Oh. Sweet. Yeah. yeah, even though they didn't adopt him, actually, and John Allen was kind of a dick. But, um yeah, he always was like... Um, well, but
1: they're kicking themselves now.
0: <laughs> I mean, he was always, like, um, just desperate for any kind of, like, father figure or mother figure in his life. Really, a mother figure. So they moved to England for five years, and then the tobacco industry kind of, like, tanked, so they moved back to Richmond. And back in Richmond, Poe attended a private boy academy, which was kind of the norm for elementary school um, in the 1800s, where he excelled at literally everything. Everything he did, he did well. Poe was great at everything. He was great at sports. He was particularly great at swimming, running, shooting. He loved schoolwork. He was just really, you would think a gothic, one of America's first gothic writers wasn't I don't know. Athletic. Ster- a athletic. A yeah. stereotype, I guess. But he was very athletic,
1: and he was very good. I definitely wouldn't have thought that from, the, like, the he collar was... pictures that you saw. <laughs> I think <laughs> of was... when you
0: see him. I know, right? Could you imagine Poe's head, like, swimming? He, like, swam in the channel, um, in just... some, like, channel in Virginia, like, the six collar? miles. It was the
1: collar. It was. It, it was. Held him up. He's was, like, a floaty.
0: Apparently, he had a very giant forehead, and I think it just, he floated, mostly. <laughs> um... But it turns out his favorite poet, Byron, Mm -hmm. you you probably know Byron, um, he did the same thing. He did a swimming competition, so Poe it was kind of like a tribute to him. Anyways, he was good at everything. He was especially good at languages, in particular, Latin. He learned French. He learned Latin. He was top of his class. He was great. And at the age of 14, while attending that school, Edgar met one of his schoolmates' mother's. And her name was Jane Stannard, and he quickly was became infatuated with her, not in a weird way, but like as a mother figure, because Fanny was preoccupied with, guess what, tuberculosis. Mm-hmm. Um, he at one point kind of latched on to Rosalie's adopted mom, who they did officially adopt his younger sister, Bern, you know. Um, so he kind of latched onto her a little bit. It didn't really work out, but when he met Jane, he really, they had a connection. His mom having died so young, and then Fanny, his foster mom, I just said all that, um. Was Fanny a popular name? Yes, it was a very popular, there's like five women in this story named Fanny. Yeah,
1: I had a person named Fanny in mine too.
0: Yeah, um, so, and it was Frances, and, um, that's what Fanny was short for, but. And and Francis makes me laugh because every time we're being like a a dud, my husband and I, like if he doesn't want to do anything or he's being grumpy or same for me, we call each other Francis. (laughs) Like, okay, Francis, or don't be a Francis. Um, So the name Francis um, makes me laugh. And Fanny made me think of you because that's sometimes your nickname. Um,
1: It's not a nickname that I... uh...
0: Particularly like... <laughs> yeah,
1: it wasn't... I didn't endorse that nickname. It just, it just happened.
0: So he took to Jane almost instantly. Um, she resembled both Eliza Poe and Fanny, his foster mom. She was sickly and she was also in the throes of deep depression. So he seemed to be attracted to that. Poe would go to Jane's house when he was unhappy at home and she would comfort him But like most things in Poe's life, it didn't last very long. And after only a year of knowing her, Jane died at the age of 31.
1: Oh my gosh. So there's another
0: woman in his life who did not live up to his expectations uh, because she died. But it was said that Poe visited her grave often. After the death of Jane, Poe became distant and depressed and he just wasn't, I don't know if it was puberty, he was 15, so I don't know if he was just like, God, everybody fucking dies that I love, you know? I don't know if what it was, it didn't really say. I mean, a lot
1: of people probably were Oh dying.
0: my, Lanta. What? I did not cite my source. Oh, cite your source now. Oh my goodness. Okay, so where I got all this information from is... A book that I read, and if you love a real snoozer, <laughs> I recommend it. It was like, the no offense to this author.
1: If you suffer from
0: insomnia, insomnia. <laughs> please read this book.
1: If you suffer um, from being too fun.
0: You will 100% sure fall asleep every time you try to read it. Um, but it was. it's called Edgar A. Poe, A Biography, Mournful and Never-Ending Remembrance. It seemed never-ending, really, and mournful. I felt mournful, <laughs> um, and it's a um, by Pulitzer Prize. Oh, I feel like a real asshole winning author. Oh, um, dang. Kenneth Silverman actually it was a good book. It was just so much information, and it was so.
1: No, I know. I dry. Know. I know it was exactly. Just so dry, it's because it's know? just informational. Because they can't. It has to be.
0: And I wanted something a little bit juicier, like. I'm lazy in the way that I don't want to have to interpret the juiciness of a story. Like, I just want to be told plain and clear, Mm -hmm. um, plain and simple, the juiciness. But you have to, like, interpret the juiciness in this. Anyways. So, yeah, Jane died and he was was upset. Um, After he became, like, kind of depressed and and probably your average 15-year-old, butt nugget um john allen his foster parent or foster dad mistook that as in um and this is when they they started to butt heads big time and it never really stopped until john allen died it was bad it got really bad so poe attended the after primary school poe attended the university of virginia in its very first year oh wow it was chaotic and unorganized, and it was kind of crazy. So John Allen sent him to the University of Virginia with, I would say, the book said um, a certain number, but um, I'm just going to say like maybe half of what he needed to cover his tuition and books and living expenses. I mean, I'm like, okay, so we didn't give you enough money for college. Like, blue-woo-hoo. But he also spent $6 of that on a servant. Okay. So, um, is it hard for me to feel bad for him? Yes, it is.
1: Why did he buy a servant in college? I don't know.
0: Um, But he did get so poor at one point, he had to start burning his furniture for warmth. What? I, why didn't his servant burn his furniture for warmth? What did he even know. use
1: a servant for in college? He
0: burned a servant for warmth. <laughs> <laughs> so... I don't know. Anyways, he um, complained that John Allen didn't give him enough money and that he was stressed out and, you know, people were making fun of him because he was so poor. So anyways, Poe, and this isn't really known if he resorted to gambling to pay for his debts or he fell into gambling and then accrued major debts, Um, but he unfortunately started gambling, accrued a ton of debt. And then came back to Richmond a year after he started university. But you think, oh man, only a year. But that was about the average time that someone went to university in, that, in the 1800s. It was a year. Mm-hmm. So that wasn't outside of the ordinary. He wanted to stay, but he just didn't have any money. And he was just accruing more debts. Um, so Poe came back to Richmond with debt collectors hot on his trail. Edgar... Um, actually while he was away, he was secretly engaged to his neighbor and her name was, Oh, what, what was her name? Um, Sarah Elmira. Um, and he came back home from, from university and they go to this party at the neighbor's <clears throat> house, which he thinks is like just a total, you know, get together. turns out it's an engagement party for his childhood sweetheart. She's engaged to another and he is like, his whole world is wrecked. Like it is wrecked turned upside down. One thing about Poe, he is very dramatic and he was very sensitive when it came to like matters of the heart. I could see that. Um, I believe it. So he just really leaned into his misery at this point. And became more like despondent, and John and John Allen, his foster father, and Edgar, his feud really came to a head. And John threw him out of the house, but not before Edgar could could declare that he was leaving. So it was like, "You're fired. You can't fire me because I quit." Kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um He moved out of the house. He lived on the streets for a while, and he wrote and he published a couple things. He wrote to John begging for <clears throat> money. He said he was starving and. John pretty much was like, nah, um, and he moved. and Edgar moved to Boston. So, in 1827, at the age of 18, Edgar published his first writings, and it was a 40 page book called *Tamerlane and Other Poems*. Then he joined the army, and no one really knows why he joined the army. I think it was because he didn't have another way to make money.
1: Yeah. And he was like homeless.
0: Yeah, so he had no choice but to join the army. Um, He enlisted for a standard five years, but he also lied about his age. He said he was 22 when he was 18, and he also enlisted under the name Edgar Perry.
1: Why would he lie about his age? I don't know. He was old
0: enough. I don't know. I don't know. That's bizarre. It was bizarre.
1: Um, And also use a fake name?
0: Strange. I don't, I really can't, I can't understand it. So, he did well in the army. He did really well in the army, actually. He rose ranks quickly, um, and he grew to the high. Excuse me while I readjust myself. Um, he, he rose to the highest rank he could get without any, um, any more training. But, um, as you will come to see about Poe, he doesn't really have a good follow-through. And about two years in, he was tired. Tired of the army. And tired of following orders. <laughs> so he went to his commanding officer and he asked to be released. And he said, hey, I'm actually not 22. I am 20. Um, I enlisted when I was 18. I use this fake name. This is who I really am. I, you know, I really want to get out. And his commanding officer knew that there was strain between Edgar Allen's foster dad. And um, he said, fine, I will release you. Um, but I want you to reconcile with your foster dad. So Edgar's like.
1: <sighs> so they were pretty loosey goosey with the enlistment rules back then. Well,
0: here's the thing about Poe he was strange. He was a hard worker, but he was non committal. Mm-hmm. Um, he was driven, but he didn't have any follow through. Um, he was more of like a big picture thinker, like uh, always looking ahead. Um, and he made a lot of enemies, but a lot of people seemed to take a liking to him. Like, very um, important people took a liking to him. Like, this commanding officer, for whatever reason, he liked Poe. Um, so he was like, sure, I'll do it for you, but you need to do something for me. And I, family's important to me, and I think you should reconcile. So um, he tried. And John Allen said, okay, I'll I'll give you my permission to leave the army because at first he was like, no, everybody else has to do five years. What's so special about you? Nothing. You need to finish your term. You need to keep the commitment. But then Edgar, you know, they wrote back and forth and, um, he said, fine, I I will give you my blessing and we can reconcile if you apply to West point. And I was like, fine, whatever it takes to get out of here. So, um, he, was um just before he was allowed to leave he got correspondence that Fanny his foster mom was ill very ill and he was given a allowance to leave um and he went home to see her he wasn't told in time and he missed her death by a day oh no he was very upset by that and I think that's one of um it said in the book well it insinuated in the book that was one of like his one of his guilts that he carried with him for the rest of his life that he that's sad left and didn't correspond with them or come and visit and then joined the army and was gone two more years and then didn't make it back to say goodbye he really did love his foster mom Fanny so after Fanny died he was discharged John Allen got all of his ducks in a row all of his paperwork his lineage he got A ton of letters of recommendation from U.S. senators. He used all of his clout to get this application ready for West Point. And Poe made it in. He made it in, and he started West Point. Uh, Let's see. Uh, Well, unfortunately, he lasted less than a year. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Like I said, lack of follow-through. He was charged with disobeying orders (laughs) and insubordination. He... Um, I think for a few weeks he'd stopped going to classes, a couple of his, of his classes. And, um, he refused to go to church after being told to go by his commanding officer. And he pled guilty to most of the charges. There was one he didn't plead guilty to, but that's doesn't, that's neither here nor there. Um, in 1831, he was put on trial at West Point. He pleaded guilty and he was expelled. After he left West Point, he was completely, pretty much completely, Disowned by John Allen, who caught him out of his will, and they practically, other than aside from a few letters, he they never spoke again. Oh, wow! I know it's pretty sad. He tried to see him on his deathbed, um, but he had remarried at that time, and he made such a scene in the house that the um, new wife refused to like let him come back on the premises, and he didn't. He didn't. Um, he made it when he when John Allen was on his deathbed, but he told him to leave immediately. He, like, burst into the room, like, fought his way up the stairs, burst into the room to say goodbye. He really wanted to make amends. I don't know if he wanted to make amends because he loved John Allen or because he wanted money from John Allen. I don't know. Um, but he caused a big stink and wasn't allowed there again. And he actually blamed the whole thing on... John Allen for kind of forcing him to go to West Point. Um, so after West Point, Edgar Allen Poe moved to New York. And it's a time period after that where it's like virtually unknown what he did. Um, nobody knows what he did or how he survived. All that's known is he did get sick and he was bedridden. And the only reason they know that because they found a letter from Edgar Allen to John Allen that he was sick and he was like bleeding out of his ears and he was delirious and he needed some money cuz he was poor and starving and sick. John Allen never replied. <laughs> um and then, you know, I think John Allen had groomed Edgar Allan Poe to be a businessman and when Edgar wanted to follow his dream of becoming a writer and a poet, it kind of really pissed him off. And I think he never kind of forgave edgar for that so in 1831 after recovering from his sickness in new york edgar made his way to baltimore where his biological dad's family was originally from and the next three years are kind of also a mystery he has periods of where nobody really knows what he was doing but he lived with his father's sister maria clem and he called her muddy And her two children, she had a son and a daughter, and the daughter was, uh, her name was Virginia Clem. So in Baltimore, he was poor. They were all kind of poor, and um, he was writing, and he did write stuff and have stuff published, but it was in the day where publishers were publishing, but they weren't paying for it. So he didn't really make any money. Um, The whole time, he was still pleading to John Allen to send money, and he wouldn't. He's never sent any money. Poe was interested in some women around Baltimore and he wrote them love letters and poems and actually his cousin, Virginia would run re- act as a courier for him. And
1: take the little love letters around town.
0: Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, so, um, this is where it kind of gets interesting and a little bit uncomfortable. Um, Poe eventually turned his attentions towards Virginia his cousin? His twelve year old cousin.
1: Oh my god.
0: Um and <laughs> yeah. They um he became interested in her and professed his love to her. And he's like
1: twenty five. Twenty six. Okay.
0: And it was just two weeks after she turns thirteen that he decided he wanted to marry her. So he had gotten an offer back in Richmond. So he's in Baltimore at this time. He had gotten an offer back in Richmond to like um, permanently write for a paper. Um, he was excited because he was dead broke. And, he- and this is around the time that magazines started to become very popular. So he was very much interested. So he went to Virginia and met with White, the owner of the magazine, or the editor of the magazine, one of the other. I don't know. He was offered the job, but then Muddy, who was his aunt, his brother's Mm -hmm. sister, sent him a letter and said, we are poor. We're starving. We can't take care of each other. And our other cousin, like Nelson Poe, has offered to take us in. Um, And Poe lost his fucking mind. He was like, no, no. He was so worried at the idea of Virginia moving away because he felt like he would lose her forever because nobody kind of approved of the marriage.
1: Oh, weird. (laughs) Nope, they weren't on board? Okay.
0: Yeah, he actually begged and pleaded in this letter. This is what he wrote to her in this letter. I'm going to read from the book. He wrote, My love, my own sweetest sissy, my darling little wifey, Think well before you break the heart of your cousin Eddie. The fuck. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So gross, right? Mm-hmm. Um. So Poe was given the job. He worked at the paper, and then he got this letter, and he like poof vanished. He ran back to Virginia so quick because he was worried that once they left with this other cousin, that they they would try to keep them separate and this and that. So. Um, He ran back to Richmond, and I'm going to read out of the book what happened. They joined as blood relatives, Virginia being the daughter of his father's sister. First cousin marriages were not unusual at the time, but Virginia's age was. Opinion about the appropriate marrying age for women differed, and women in the South married younger than those in other sections. Yet to marry at the age of 13, was extremely rare and as nielsen poe the other cousin who offered did most people would have considered virginia far too young so i think nielsen poe was like pose um uh, edgar's out of town I'm. In, this is a chance to kind of take virginia out of that situation for poe however her age consisted constituted part of her appeal even earlier he had flirted with his 14 year old cousin elizabeth And his manner of addressing and referring to Virginia, and usually as sissy or sis or my darling little wife, itself suggests a preference for a childlike rather than a mature or even simply a young woman. Later events in his life make this preference more obvious, but in his present feelings of helplessness, Poe rather experienced himself also as a child. Which it does kind of make sense. It's not right. But it does make I think he was, like, emotionally stunted. Um, he experienced a lot of trauma. A lot of mother figures in his life died. And also a lot of the mother figures in his life were small.
1: Why didn't her mom just say no?
0: Childlike, sickly. I, I don't know. I mean, doesn't
1: she have to have an adult signature on this I, situation? I, I don't know. Don't meet your heroes, folks.
0: Um, <laughs> really, it's kind of depressing, truly. So, you know, anyways, Virginia loved him. I, I don't know. It was weird. And sometimes Poe even made his age younger. Like he was two or four years younger than he actually was. He would tell people or write his age to be younger. So, I don't know. He was just an odd, freaking odd duck. Then all three of them, Muddy, Virginia, and Edgar Allan Poe, returned to Richmond as engaged or married, I think they secretly got married, and so does the author of this book. They think they secretly got married uh, in Baltimore, and then went to Virginia, or went to Richmond, Virginia, so he could work at that magazine. So he worked as a um, a writer and a literature critic at the Southern Literary Messenger, was the magazine. He actually was a savage when it came to critiques. They actually nicknamed him Tomahawk. Because he was so savage. Um, He spent 16 months in Richmond, during which Poe and Virginia had a public wedding after she had turned 14. Oh, thank God they waited. (laughs) And he even listed her in some of the paperwork as being 21, which was not that she was. She was 14. But the person who did the marriage, a Lutheran pastor they told him he, she was 15 and on the marriage bond, Virginia was listed as 21. Poe again started to rack up enemies in Richmond um, with his harsh critiques. Um, and also there was a lot of rumors swirling around about Allen, John Allen, John Allen had died at this point and he was loved in Richmond. And the way that, you know, the rumors were that Poe was not a kind son and, ungrateful and, ungrateful or or whatever so he had to get the fuck out of there so a long time goes by and he kind of disappears from everything there's a couple years in and out and he's still publishing his works but not making any money he's really gaining some fame but not really a lot um he didn't really become majorly famous till the raven and that was towards the end of his life and still he didn't really become famous It wasn't like a Van Gogh situation where he was never able to sell anything while he was alive, but it wasn't like a Justin Bieber situation. Ernest Hemingway
1: situation (laughs) where he was making bank.
0: Yes, he was barely making it, but he had some notoriety.
1: Well, could be worse.
0: Yeah, so he pops up in Philly in 1840 and he started writing for Burton's Gentleman's Magazine where he actually accused Longfellow of plagiarism.
1: Oh my god! The balls
0: on this guy, I swear. So, um, he left Burton, went to another magazine. Um, Burton accused him of drinking on the job and totally wrecking everything. Poe denied it. Um, he spent another six years in Philly, bouncing around from magazine to magazine, and then he came across Rufus Griswold, who would end up being one of Poe's biggest enemies. He really pissed Griswold off when he he did a bad review of his. Poems, and their feud would last until after poe was dead so it's 1845 him and virginia are married virginia is i think 24 at this time she is also sick with consumption oh my god um tuberculosis i told you everybody fucking dies of tuberculosis in this story um so she's like sickly they live in the you know out in the um they're just about to leave philly and they are going to move to new york but Back in the day, they had these salon parties where women would gather and they would invite like poets, poets and artists to come read their works or show their works. Well, Poe was invited to salons and um, he was seen as mysterious and eerie with his gothic poems and creepy stories. Everyone wanted to get to know him, but few actually got close. Um, a frequent host of these parties was a lady, a lady by the name of Anne Lynch, um, she particularly liked Poe to come to parties because he was gentlemanly. He was a Southern gentleman. He was interesting, but not overbearing. He was quiet and unaffected. And he started flirting with a fellow poet. You might know her, Fanny Osgood. I don't. Or Francis Osgood. She was, was. She a grown up. Well.
1: Oh God. She
0: was in age, but not in stature. Oh okay. She was considered. Very childlike, very small, very tiny, sickly even, maybe even in the first stages of tuberculosis. Oh, my God. I think at this point he wasn't attracted to children. He was attracted to tuberculosis. Is that a fetish out there? (laughs) TB fetish. Oh, my God. Okay, so (laughs) they kind of had a fling. And then, um, you know, because Virginia, his wife, was very sick and bedridden. They had a fling. And then in comes another poet Uh, by the name of elizabeth ellett and now in in this book it says that ellett liked poe poe liked osgood it was like this weird love triangle poe was repulsed by ellett um and then odd osgood reconciled with her husband and had nothing to do with poe and anyways it became there was these like the they were these flirtatious letters going back and forth the original sexting if you will
1: um, did they draw stick figures doing it
0: <laughs> no um so at one of these salon parties ellet became jealous of osgood so she told poe to give osgood her flirtatious letters back and poe told her to mind your own letters quote unquote and then Ellet lost her mind. Her brother got involved, threatened to kick Poe's ass and shoot him with a pistol if he didn't get the letters back. <laughs> and Poe refused to give the letters back. And then Poe went to a friend and said, hey, can I borrow your pistol because Ellet's brother threatened to kill me because I won't give her the letters. And his friend was like, Poe, just give her the letters. And he refused to give her the letters. So then he said, okay, well, just apologize and say that you were wrong in saying that there's letters if there's no letters and Poe said I'm not doing either one they got an argument which led to a physical fight which led to Poe getting his ass kicked because his friend was 10 years younger and he really really kicked his ass um I think Poe was drunk and on some kind of barbiturates at the time he used to spike his drinks with barbiturates party yeah A lot of the times he would not remember what had happened. And I just, there's a funny quote about their fight in here. And I'll read it and I'm wrapping it up. I'm wrapping it up. So his friend said, Poe rushed toward him menacingly. I threw out my fist to stop him and the impetus rush rather than any force of mine made the extension of my arm a bow he grasped me while falling backward over a lounge and I on top of him the scuffle lasted a few moments English said that he hit Poe in the face unintentionally and badly cutting him with the heavy seal ring he wore on his pinky the racket attracted someone in the neighboring room who separated them and led Poe away Poe in his own account did not contradict English version of the preliminaries. But rather, he said he remembered nothing that had happened except for having wearied and degraded myself to little purpose by fighting. His version of the outcome, however, was only his own. I gave English a flogging which he will remember to the day of his death," said the person who was bedridden after
1: the fight. Oh my God! Um,
0: so Virginia's health deteriorated till she eventually died on January thirtieth, eighteen forty-seven. Poe was distraught, and after Virginia's death, um, as if he could sink any lower, he actually did. Oh my God! And um, he didn't survive another even two years after that. For Virginia's death brought him back to Richmond, where he ran into his teenage no. sweetheart, Sarah Elerna, or have you say it, Elira? And he discovered that her husband had also died. Um, so they rekindled their romance. Okay. So they're,
1: but they're the same age. They're the same age. Okay.
0: It, uh, she's a little bit younger. Who okay. are we kidding? She was a little bit younger. But um, so they planned to be married. And then on September 27th, 1849, he, Poe left for New York from Virginia to go home, I think, to wrap up some business. And then he just disappeared for a week. He totally disappeared off the face of the earth. Nobody knew where he was Nobody heard from him Nobody could find him And then he Was found delirious In a ditch In Baltimore In front of Ryan's tavern He wasn't wearing his clothes What?
1: He was his, naked?
0: He, no he was wearing Somebody else's clothes Oh um, They were dirty He was disheveled And one thing about Poe is he, he
1: traded clothes With
0: somebody? Right One thing about Poe Is he might have been Poe But he always was That was a Poe joke <laughs> Poor, I meant, sorry, but, okay. (laughs) That was dumb, I'll never say that again. No, that that was good. Nope. um, That was good. I hate myself. Okay. So, he was always clean-shaven, always well-groomed, immaculately cleaned, um, didn't have the nicest clothes, but was always Mm well-dressed. So, it was very out of character for Poe to look like a bum in a ditch.
1: Yeah.
0: He was delirious, he wasn't, he was in and out of consciousness- he was taken to the hospital on Oct- that he was found on October 3rd and he was taken to the hospital he was delirious for 2 days in the hospital and um, the last thing he said was have mercy on my soul and he died October 5th 1849 those are his
1: last words mm-hmm. so romantic
0: and um yeah there was there's a ton of theories about his death um, including rabies suicide, murder, syphilis, hypoglycemia, and cholera.
1: I'm going to go with rabies. I like that one.
0: Um, I That was my initial thought. <laughs> However, there is another theory that seems to have some kind of um, backing behind it. Back in the day, they used to do what's called cooping, and they would um, force somebody. Um, it, he was found outside of a voting poll. Mm -hmm. Um, where they voted and there was just a recent election and cooping is when they would kidnap somebody, members of a certain party would kidnap somebody, force feed them liquor or bribe them with liquor. And then they would send them to the voting poll over and over in different disguises and they would re vote. So, there the most is,
1: ridiculous thing I've ever heard, but that actually makes sense. <laughs>
0: there is a victim. Uh, there was a lot of victims of cooping in those days, and where he was found, and the time that he was found, and his alcohol abuse issues. It does seem like that might be a likely likely culprit. Nobody knows how he died. The death records have been it's lost.
1: Shitty way to die.
0: So I'm gonna go with victim of cooping. I think that is a interesting way to die. Um, And then to add insult to injury, good old Rufus Griswold, his arch nemesis, nemesis wrote a scathing obituary about him and then went on to declare that Poe wanted him to be his biographer. And he wrote a totally scathing biography about how he was a drunk and a womanizer and just a total deadbeat. And that to this day is kind of, um, known. That's how like people got their impression of Poe is on this false biography, but actually backfired because Griswold thought it would like tarnish his reputation forever. But you know us, everybody loves a good train wreck, right? Yeah. So actually drew people to Poe and they were more interested than ever in him and his life and they even seem to like his work more you know he's credited to be one of the first american gothic authors and one of the first to kind of start the like true detective series with um i think it's called the murders in the rue morgue or something the morgue rue um was kind of like a whodunit Mm -hmm. and it was kind of the first of its kind i remember he he's kind of what inspired me to become interested in true crime I used to, my great grandma used to watch me when I came home from school and I was, I think nine or 10. And she was like, here's a book of, of Edgar Allan Poe's work. Go ahead and read it. (laughs) Okay. Well, that's pretty cool though. I mean, looking back on it, do I want my nine year old reading about a telltale heart or a guy (laughs) who murders an old man in his sleep and then buries his body under the floorboards and then gets paranoia when the police show up and confesses? It's art. No, I don't. But, yeah, so that's a story of Um, Poe. Google his obituary. It's pretty hilarious. He basically says he has no friends. (laughs) Um, Yeah, he just really burns him a good one. That's funny.
1: Maybe we can post it if it's not that long.
0: Yeah, I can post the beginning. Yeah. So, anyways, that was Poe. Good job. I said it was going to be short, but,
1: you know, I'm a liar, so... I know you're just a liar, liar pants. Your pants are on fire right They're now. They're burning right now as Well, speak. that was a really good job. It, it, Thank you. It is hard to... Uh, Wrap up someone's entire life in like 20 minutes? Yes, especially when they have a big life with a lot of stories. Um, but you did a really good job.
0: Thank you. No, I'm excited for Hemingway.
1: <sighs> All right. Ernest Hemingway... Uh, I read a biography called Ernest Hemingway, a biography by Mary V. Dearborn. I also, um, after I read it, used the worldhistoryproject.org just to kind of go over my um, timeline because there was so much shit. And this is a big book. And um, every, everybody that Hemingway knew uh, basically got their own mini biography in it, so it was a lot. <laughs> So, here we go. Ernest Hemingway was born July 21st, 1899, in Oak Park, Illinois, which is a suburb of Chicago. His father, Ed, was a doctor and a very religious man. Okay. And his mother was a singer. Ooh, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And she had some notoriety, um kind of more locally, she eventually gave singing lessons. She went on to paint. She was a bit, like, kind of larger-than-life woman that everybody loved. Okay. Ernest was the second oldest of five, although his mom, for some bizarre reason, decided to treat him and his year-older sister as twins for, like, a lot of their childhood. I don't know what (laughs) She would, like, make a match and gave them the same haircut, shoulder-length haircut, which some researchers claim led to Ernest's hair fetish as an adult although in that
0: wait what he had a hair fetish yes okay let's just skip everything and go straight to the hair fetish I'll I'll
1: talk about it a little bit later I don't really (laughs) think that that's why he had a hair fetish because back then it was very very common for young boys to be dressed in a more girl style it was just common for little kids of either gender to be more girly because it showed like that they were innocent whatever so anyways yeah that's hair fetish
0: Ernest had a I'm tur- into it. I, I like it. I'm intrigued.
1: Ernest had a turbulent relationship with his parents and siblings throughout his entire life. In high school, he wrote for the school paper, which led to his desire to be a journalist. His favorite teacher was Fanny Biggs. Hmm. After high school, he moved to Kansas City to write for the newspaper there. And he was an exceptional journalist. And these early days really helped define his style as a lean, masculine writer. He really loved he loved it when he was young. It was very exciting. He, you know, got in there with all the, the police and any sort of situation that was going on. It was a pretty,
0: he was a pretty, very lean writer. Yes,
1: the biographer was not. She did not subscribe <laughs> to that theory. When World War One started, Ernest desperately wanted to join the army, but his eyesight was poor, so he volunteered instead as a Red Cross ambulance driver. Because apparently, you don't oh, have to great. see to Give drive the, the, to drive good the driving ambulance. job. Perfect. Soon after his deployment in Italy, Ernest was seriously injured by mortar fire. Oh, no. Um, Shrapnel impaled his leg in several places. A story was told that he pulled an Italian soldier along with him out of the line of fire. He spent several weeks recovering in a Red Cross hospital from his injuries and fell in love with his nurse, as you do. In the end, he left with Italian medals for his bravery, a broken heart, and a story that would last a lifetime. Back in the States, Ernest married his first wife, Hadley Richardson. So not the nurse. He met somebody else. Okay. She was my favorite of his wives. Hadley? Yeah. I love that name. He, as with all of his wives, really loved her hair. Oh my God. And it was kind of funny when they got married, it said that in the pictures, her hair was still damp from her morning swim. And he was like... I'm into it. I'm into it. Okay, wait a minute.
0: What kind of hair did she
1: have? Did it say? I think that she had, oh, I remember. Like, well, she, she had, when they first got together, she had really long, like, reddish golden hair. Okay. Like, auburn hair with, like, some, like, natural highlight to okay. it. Okay. And then, uh, later on, she cut it. But he likes short hair.
0: Was she like, that is it? You pissed me off for the last time I'm cutting my no, hair. No, he likes short hair.
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> together <laughs> in 1923, they moved to Paris.
0: Oh, they're so fancy.
1: In Europe, the Hemingways made many similarly minded friends with expats, including Gertrude Stein, (gasps) Sherwood Anderson, and Ezra Pound. Oh my goodness. Stein referred to them as the lost generation. He also fell in love with Spanish bullfighting and Spain as a whole. For many years, groups of friends would would travel to Spain to go watch the bullfights for like a week-long party where they were just drinking wine all day and watching bullfights and... Try, like doing the amateur bullfights where they would wrap the bull's horns with like a towel and then you'd like, you know, still almost die. <laughs> These people that he met in Europe, I mean, it was such a cool crowd. Uh, they inspired some of his most famous works. I
0: mean, and it was full of creatives. Yeah, they were they, all like it was authors. They a yeah. bunch of creatives. Yeah. And I think did he hang out with a couple of famous painters, artists?
1: Um, I don't remember everybody. There was seriously so many people okay. that they said... And there was other people, too, that I didn't really recognize the names of that were also just, like, in the literary scene at the time. Yeah. Europe. Europe at this time was recovering from war, so it was extremely cheap to live in Paris. That's one of the reasons why there were so many expats living there.
0: Okay. Because
1: it was super cheap because of the war Okay, that had ended. And also, um, there was no prohibition there ever, so, you know, that helped. So, and it was during this time with these people in this place that the legend of Ernest Hemingway began to form. Ooh, okay. In 1925, Hemingway made his American debut as a writer beyond journalism with a collection of short stories titled *In Our Time*. Shortly after this, Ernest became friends with F. Scott Fitzgerald, <gasps> *The Great Gatsby*.
0: Oh my goodness!
1: Who was already a rich and famous author by this time? Fitzgerald was one of those guys that just kind of like was hot he shit was right out of the Justin gate. Of yeah, he was a Justin Bieber. Yeah, he was a Justin Bieber. Ernest and Fitzgerald were close friends for many years. Fitzgerald even helped Ernest to get his first uh, real novel published. Their relationship is one of the many where Ernest is, like, the world's shittiest friend. He's quick to judgment, rare to forgive, and never to forget any slight against him. He is so fucking sensitive. Um, Fitzgerald did have a drinking problem that intensified over the years, especially as his wife Zelda's mental health declined. But you would think Ernest, like being the big drinker that he was, would like be kind of chill about it, but he wasn't. He was a dick. Ernest also had a pattern of screwing over friends over the years by writing hurtful and often dishonest stories that were clearly about these friends, like (gasps) everybody knew. And in 1926, with the help of his well-connected friends, especially especially Fitzgerald, Ernest published The The Sun Also Rises. Readers and critics enjoyed Ernest's lean, masculine style of writing and his macho bravado ushering in a new style of the American author. Before Ernest, a lot of American authors were kind of seen as more, like, effeminate, more... Like, you know... Whitman. Yes, yes. And Longfellow. And and they were... They weren't macho. No. But Hemingway was. He was a hard drinker. He loved bullfights. He loved sports. He was a tough guy. And a lot of people gave him shit. Like, they're like, you're kind of playing it up, but... I mean, I don't know. He was a pretty cool guy. He had a crazy life. He was just
0: trying to compensate for that time he had shoulder length hair.
1: Probably, probably. But uh, the sun also rises. In the sun also rises, it was like about these, you know, friends that he had or whatever, and a couple of his friends in it were like totally ripped to shreds, and everybody in their circle knew, and it was for absolutely no reason.
0: Okay, so I have a question: Was it truth that they was he using truth? Like he ripped them to shreds based Not on really. how they actually were, or was it no. like fabricated? It
1: was kind of like he would take a small thing, like a small slight about them that wasn't a big deal, and then exacerbate it. Okay. Dick. So yeah, it Dick was. Move. It was. I don't even understand it. During all of this excitement, along with being an asshole, <laughs> uh, personal challenges also plagued the Hemingways. Ernest and a close friend, Pauline Pfeiffer, began an affair in 1927. He and Hadley divorced. Ernest and Pauline were married soon after. In a last effort at chivalry, chivalry, Ernest had all proceeds from The Sun Also Rises awarded to Hadley and their son. So, I mean, I guess that was nice because it was ended up being a lot of money from that book. Ernest continued to write and be successful. And in 1928, the new Hemingways moved to Key West.
0: The new (laughs) Hemingways. The
1: the second couple. Oh,
0: Key West. I
1: think that's where he found his love of rum. Probably. Their lush Spanish colonial would become famous. It was a really cool house. The Hemingways had two sons. During this time, Ernest's father died. Uh, He had had declining health for a long time, uh, mentally and physically, and his father committed suicide. Oh, no. This obviously hit Ernest really hard. For some reason his mom sent him the gun that his father killed himself with What the fuck? Like to keep it in the family, I guess. Oh I, I don't guess. know. Just okay. a just a bizarre okay. I don't know, Could kind you of bizarre. Imagine? No.
0: Oh, here's a vial of cancer we're gonna send it to, you it to was... keep it in the family.
1: What a weird thing yeah, to do. I don't know. In nineteen twenty nine, a farewell to arms was published. The pair continued to flourish. Pauline was from an extremely wealthy family that doted on the pair especially her wealthy and single Uncle Gus. So they were kind of lucky because he was just like had, you know, nobody spent his money on and he would just be like, oh, I'll pay for it. I'll pay for it. I Ernest Uncle Gus. Is no shit. Ernest also fell in love with deep sea fishing, held boxing matches at his home. He loved boxing. And he favored a local bar called Sloppy Joe's. You don't I like, like it. it but I, it.
0: I like the name for a bar, Sloppy Joe's, and I also like Sloppy and Joe's. And I also
1: just like eating Sloppy Joe's. Yes. During this time, Ernest and a bunch of his friends also went on uh, his first African safari, which he loved. He loved big big game hunting. And that was all funded by Uncle Gus. So way to go, Gus. Thank
0: you, Gus. Thank you, Uncle
1: Gus. Their life seemed pretty freaking fabulous. Yeah,
0: it's kind of amazing. And I'm jealous. And also, again, feel like a lazy piece of shit.
1: Yeah. So in 1937... As we sit on the couch and talk about other people living their lives, living their exciting lives. In 1937, Ernest went back to journalism and became a war correspondent during the Spanish War. Oh. He also began an affair with Martha Gellhorn, because, you know, his life seems so awful. Um, Yeah, he was clearly bored. He was clearly not getting enough attention. Uh, After a four-year affair, the two married in 1940, shortly after For Whom the Bell Tolls was published. They didn't have any children, and Martha was extremely ambitious, which was hard for Ernest to get used to because Pauline, like, totally doted on him, even literally over her their own children. Like, she put Ernest before everything and just wanted to make him happy and, like, make sure he could write and all this shit. So, uh, Ernest, you know, kind of was a crybaby about Martha caring about herself and her own shit. Martha was, uh, their, their relationship was kind of strained because of that, and Martha also- <laughs> became disgusted by Ernest's (laughs) war efforts after their journalism assignment ended. Ernest put together a ragtag team who joined him on his fishing boat called the Pilar and patrolled the Cuban coast looking for U-boats, which are submarines. Uh, The vessel was loaded with grenades and machine guns in case his brigade named the Friendless encountered any foreign subs. Ernie had way too much time on his hands. Yeah. So they like put metal around the front of the boat <laughs> to like reinforce it. They had tons and tons of weapons. Um, and it seems like this is total bullshit, but it was actually overseen by the office of Naval intelligence. And Holy I guess, shit. I mean, I guess they just wanted all hands on deck at this point. Just anybody <laughs> who can look for a foreign sub just look? Ernest never lacked for enthusiasm on these missions. What he did lack, however, is results. As no you both were uncovered by the pillar and the friendsless crew. (laughs) So stupid. They
0: had just as many grenades as they did bottles of rum.
1: Yeah. Yes. Yeah. They were like definitely drinking the whole time. It was ridiculous. In 1944, Hemingway and Gellhorn reported on World War II. She was really into doing the war correspondence. Like, she pretty much was the reason why he did it. Okay. Many notable things happened during this reporting trip, including meeting a woman Ernest quickly fell for named Mary. <sighs> oh, my gosh. Okay. At least none of them are fucking 12.
0: <laughs> oh, my God. I know They're I, all grown-ups. When I read that, I was like, no! <laughs>
1: After arriving in London, Ernest very typically met up with friends who had a party. Uh, that <laughs> night, while being driven home... By a friend, they had a car accident where Ernest's <gasps> head slammed against the windshield. What? Leaving a huge gash. This post-traumatic brain injury was not treated correctly at the hospital. Oh, shit. Ernest also never stopped drinking during his recovery, which only exasperate, exasperated the injury.
0: Okay. then that's not good.
1: Yeah. Well, he he kind of had a habit of this. Whenever he was hospitalized, he would always have liquor bottles hidden underneath his bed. <laughs> oh, my God. What a terrible patient. Yeah. Ernest endured deeper mood swings, which he already suffered from, and all and other behavioral changes after this uh, oh, traumatic injury. brain injury. Oh, yeah, no. it, was, it was it was really bad. After a very short recoup from this accident, Ernest attached himself to the Fourth <laughs> Infantry Division in order to finish his writing assignment. So he's like, "I'm gonna go." I have you, a soldiers. traumatic brain yes.
0: injury. I'm an alcoholic.
1: And now, well, he has to finish his writing assignment, so he's just gonna join the infantry.
0: Somebody, let me join this infantry, give me a gun, and
1: I'm your guy. Somehow, in all of this, he also managed to get a letter authorizing him to lead a group of resistance fighters. What? Who authorized that? I don't know, but everything in this story is so ridiculous. He's been out of the hospital for like a week, I think, or two weeks at this point, maybe. So him and this group of resistance fighters, they commandeered a French hotel, set up headquarters where they interrogated German soldiers and sent out intelligence patrols. Okay, and what? The That's he was they with... took control of a hotel, they captured German soldiers and questioned them? Well, yeah, because the whole, you know, the city was like under German right attack. So right. they were like, they had to make their own little bunker, which just happened to be in a hotel. Uh, from this war came another great... Ernest Hemingway legend Mm. that he helped to liberate Paris. In reality, the story was closer to Ernest liberating the hotel Ritz (laughs) ordering 50 martinis while journalists piled in with the news that the allied forces had liberated Paris, France, but he was at the hotel first. So everybody said that Ernest (sighs) did a great job liberating the Ritz because it had the most alcohol left in the city. (laughs) The third installment of the Hemingway's ended and never wanted to stay single for long, or actually at all, as all of his relationships overlapped.
0: Oh my goodness.
1: Ernest married Mary Welsh. You
0: know what? What did all their hair look like? I'm gonna Google them now. Mary was blonde.
1: Pauline had dark hair, but sometimes she would dye it blonde for him.
0: Oh, so he was into blondes?
1: He yes. It, well, he was into different things. He was into short hair, he was into the way hair felt. Okay, so um one of the things about the hair fetish that Um, I found really interesting was in 1946, I believe, Ernest started writing this book. I think it was called Garden of Eden. Uh Uh-huh. And it was basically him exploring his hair fetish and his gender fetishes. Okay. The couple in it cut and dyed their hair, bleaching it and cutting it like the same short length until they were twinning and then laid on the beach until they got really, really tan and they looked like twins. And the whole book was about, like, their sexual experiences twinning. And there is explicit sex scenes in it. I believe anal.
0: Oh, I'm buying this book and I'm going to read it.
1: And... They end up, like, inviting over another woman to, you know, have sex with them. Do they tan her
0: and cut her hair? No, I
1: think that the man actually ends up falling for her, and then I think that the w- original wife ends up going insane. This book, he started writing, like I said, like, in the late 40s. Yeah. Worked on it for 15 years, all the while he must have known he could not get it published. Right. It was way too bad. Right. Ernest was already, like, getting censored left and right for for cussing, for talking about sex at all. So something with it, like dove this deep into right. sexual fetishes, no pun intended. And, <laughs> <laughs> pun intended. Like joke. there's no way that they would have been able to publish it. Right. but it was published posthumously in the 80s.
0: Interesting. So, yeah,
1: I mean, it, he worked on it for 15 years. He obviously okay, I cared find about it a lot. that
0: fascinating. Yeah. After the whole life that Hemingway lived, the most fascinating to me is his sexual hair fetishes and the gender yes he, fetish
1: he said that one of i think him and pauline did a similar thing when they went on vacation where they cut their he, he grew his, his hair out and she cut hers really short and they would joke around about him being the wife and her being the husband it was like gender fluidity and hair he was just kind of obsessed with but nobody was really talking about that kind of thing at the time obviously
0: okay continue continue okay
1: okay so at this point he's married to mary welsh This whirlwind romance wasn't exactly a match made in heaven, but it would mark Ernest's last marriage. Over the years, Ernest's health both mentally and physically declined, in part due to his lifestyle of drink and adventure, and in part due to his traumatic brain injury and what was later thought to be manic depressive disorder. Okay. He had really big highs and really bad slumps throughout most of his life. Okay. However, he did continue to write. He wrote Old Man and the Sea in 1952. I love that story. One of his greatest works, yeah. And in 1953, he won the Pulitzer Prize for Literature. In 1954, just to get one more incredulous story in, um, him and his wife went on a trip to Africa, and while they were there, their plane crashed. What the fuck? Yes. He, Mary, and the pilot did survive, but not before the craft was spotted. And not reports... before they
0: cut the pilot's hair in it in the sun. <laughs>
1: not before they chopped all of his hair and dyed it blonde. Um, <laughs> but before... Uh... <laughs> Before anybody saw that they were still alive, somebody um, saw and reported that their airplane had crashed. Uh So it was like in all the papers that they died. Okay. And then they came home and they're like, nope, Uh, we're alive. Guys. This was one more incident, accident that contributed to the steady decline in earnest. He was really banged up after this happened. Eventually he moved to Idaho and semi-retired, but continued to write, although his work was not what it once was.
0: Do you know whereabouts in Idaho? I don't I don't think. but it was
1: a cool property um he every house he lived in was really really cool he really loved nature and so I'm not surprised that he moved to Idaho he really loved hunting yeah at this point his his health was really bad he started getting like really paranoid before and his his normal personality was that he always loved being around a crowd right he always wanted to have like a group of guys with him to hang out with right and then as he got older he didn't want anybody around him he didn't want to talk to anybody he didn't want to see anybody his, Even
0: his wife. His or? his
1: wife was the only one that he okay. would really be around. He was really, really shitty to marry, which he was never like that with his other wives. Okay. And I think it's because he was like,
0: mental health. Yes. And was, his traumatic brain yes, injury
1: made him a lot more irritable. <laughs> it was it was kinda sad. His decline was kinda sad. On July second, nineteen sixty one, Ernest woke early, chose his favorite shotgun from the closet, and shot himself in the head. It was two weeks before his sixty second birthday. Ernest was a prolific writer and the ultimate adventurer. He loved all things outdoors, hunting, fishing, and bullfighting. He loved women, drinks, and of course, writing. (laughs) The legend of Ernest Hemingway may only be surpassed by his writing. A master of his craft, his novels and short stories changed American literature forever. And that is the fabulous life of Ernest Hemingway. I love it. You did such a great job. Thank you. You should have gone first. Thank you. I loved it. (laughs) Do you have a bar for this week?
0: I do. Um, The brewery. Oh, yes. Okay, so um, uh, this Friday, I went to a new place, and it is called Roost. It's like a two-in-one. It's a restaurant and a brewery, and uh, the brewery is... Grass Valley Brewing Company is what it's called. They make beer. They make spectacular beer. It's a little bit like Sutter Buttes. Okay. Um, it's got that same feel. They have um, great beer selection. They have like big wooden tables and they have foosball and a large Jenga and a large checker. That sounds fun. Yeah, it, and they have good food and it was really cool. The staff was really great too. It was if you're ever up in Grass Valley, check it out because it's. It's pretty cool. All
1: right. Sounds awesome. Yeah.
0: And you can get like a sampler of beer so you can try every single one in little tiny, really cute baby cups, which I personally love to drink out of. I don't know why. Yeah, I like the flights too. Um, Yummy. Yeah. So it, it was pretty cool. It was fun. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, this was supposed to be a shorter episode and I couldn't shut the fuck up again, I swear. Um,
1: I just kept stumbling over my reading so apologies all around I'll try to read better next time
0: yeah and I'll just try to shut the fuck up at some point so um anyways it's good to be back it's good to be back and I and I I'm thankful for being another year
1: older me too and growing old is a privilege privilege
0: yeah I'm not afraid of growing old at all one bit me neither Okay, so cheers to that. Cheers to that. And don't forget, guys, hydrate, meditate, and then, of course, last but not least, masturbate. Have a good one. See you next week. Bye.